Hello and welcome to Pod Civility. I'm Robert Daniel. I'm Sarthik Sharma. Today on the pod, facts are dead and Donald Trump killed them. He killed them? Did he use a candlestick in the study? It was a very ornate golden study, but yes, Sarthik. Today we're looking at truth, facts, and our relationship to both of those things and how that's changing. That is a really broad topic. Well, we solve big problems here at Pod Civility. That's what we do. Robert, do you want to start us off then? Where where do we start? There's so much to so much has happened over the last. It's hard years. to even know where to start, but I think we really got the idea for this topic after this weekend. There was just a series of interviews that Donald Trump gave that. Yeah, and the interview that really comes to mind is the John Dickerson interview in the Oval, Oval Office with Trump. Yeah, that one really stuck out to me because in that you see Donald Trump bending the truth and telling whatever he wants to say and stating it as fact. And we do actually have a quick clip of that interview, but before we play it, I want you to kind of be aware of one really important, maybe the, the biggest gotcha part of it, which I think sets it apart from a lot of the other uh, interviews that you hear on TV, which is that as a journalist, he's not only asking that tough question and then a follow-up, but he's not just letting Donald Trump weasel out of answering the question, right? He presses just a little bit more, and I think that's when... That's what turns the entire kind of tenor of that interview. So really keep track of uh, for that one. And in fact, he presses so much that Donald Trump ends the interview. So uh, just just stay and listen. We couldn't get Donald Trump on the podcast, but we do have this interview. Look, you can figure it out yourself. He was very nice to me with words, but and when I was with him. But after that, there has been no relationship. But you stand by that claim about him? I don't stand by anything. I just, uh, you can take it the way you want. I think our side's been proven very strongly and everybody's talking about it. And frankly, it should be discussed. I think that is a very big surveillance of our citizens. I think that's a very big topic and it's a topic that should be number one and we should find out what the hell is going on? I just wanted to find out, though, you're, you're the president of the United States. You said he was sick and bad because he had tapped you. You can just, take any way. You can take it any way you want. But I'm asking you because you don't want it you to be fake news. I want to hear it from President Trump. Me. You don't have to ask me. Why not? Because I have my own opinions. You can have your own opinions. But I want to know your opinions. You're the president of the United okay. States. That's enough. Thank you. Thank you very much. I don't stand by anything. There are a lot of statements in that interview that give me pause, but that one really gives me pause because it basically negates everything that he ever has said or ever probably will say if his opening line is, I don't stand by anything. You know, and I don't even know where to begin with that because it's as if he in one breath is critical of fake news and then the next breath says, well, anyone can have their opinion. I have mine. You have yours. But he hasn't been issuing those kinds of tweets and and statements about the wiretapping as if they were just his opinion. It was as if it was fact. Like He was being wiretapped is what he's been saying. And that's something that we've seen a lot. It's um, he states opinions in the way that we state facts. And that messes with people's ability to discern what's truth and what's not. And it doesn't help when those statements are coming from the bully pulpit of the president of the United States of America. It seems like that's really where we see the genesis of the term Trump's plane, right? We saw we saw it all throughout the election. We've seen it since he became president. Every time that he says something that taken at face value sounds outrageous, sounds maybe just as a lie, 
their supporters, his very hardcore supporters, uh, those on CNN, those just randomly being asked, that will try to take that statement, put it into a bubble that makes sense, and then send it back out. Donald Trump has really created a a new technique in politics where he's been able to bend um, and package his own opinions as fact in a way that his supporters, um, like you just said, Sarthik, will kind of repurpose and restate. And it's really made it difficult for uh, other politicians, and this we saw this in the election, it's difficult for them to contend with Donald Trump when he offers up his own set of facts that are really just his outlandish opinions, that he states as facts, and um, then calls anything you say fake news. Um, and so not only does he discredit things you say, but he'll also discredit the mediums that broadcast um, news in our society. And you use the word packaging, but I actually think you might need to go even further. Like When I think of packaging, I'm just thinking of maybe UPS or FedEx or something. But what Trump is doing is he's making his own new scene. He's creating a narrative. And I think that one of the best examples that I can think of that just happened, again, over the weekend was the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, He was in uh, Harrisburg, right, Pennsylvania? Yeah, he went into Harrisburg for a 100-day campaign event to celebrate and mark um, the first 100 days of his presidency. And really, it seemed like set the tone for re-election, which is still a few years away. If I'm stepping away from the civil side of this podcast, what (laughs) I would say for a second is that it sounds and looks like someone needs to hear applause after they speak. And the White House can be a lonely place, um, and it's certainly not maybe as comfortable as Trump Tower in New York, and so he maybe needed to get back to the roaring of the crowd. Well, it definitely seemed like he needed to kind of plug back in and recharge uh, from maybe some of the legislative uh, hurts that he's taken over the last few months. let's be honest, folks. Donald Trump doesn't like to get in the nitty-gritty of politics. He likes the narrative. He um, He likes winning, obviously, and he doesn't necessarily care about... Um, how we win or what policy wins or loses. He cares as long as he comes out the victor. But that's kind of been his appeal from the get-go, right? That he is not the traditional politician, that he's not going to be part of that elite, even though it seems like a lot of us have a short-term memory because he was at those White House correspondence dinners. Exactly. He, he attended them. He wore the tuxedo. That was his crowd because he is... At his heart, a real estate billionaire. Let's not forget billionaire. And any organ. It doesn't. It's not just his heart. Any <laughs> organ that of him. That's right. Sorry, think every organ, not just his heart. Well, so what I really meant by the creation of, of a new narrative and him being in Harrisburg is that when he went there, he had this speech, which a lot of people kind of tore apart, especially for that poem that he had with the snake. The snake. Right. But the whole general theme of that speech was that he is a man of the people, That he, which is a great message. Right? You want a president that is with the people because he's the people's president, but that wasn't accurate. It wasn't as if he was saying no to this media elite that was up meeting in Washington, D.C., the quote-unquote swamp. This was a once-in-a-year event, right? Yeah. This was... This was prom, basically, where you're dressed up. Maybe you have a banquet. Just because you go to prom doesn't mean you're an elitist. 
Yeah, it doesn't mean you were a rich kid in high school, right? Everyone kind of goes to prom. It's a, mostly most <laughs> most people. And no offense to anybody that doesn't go to prom. We know it's, you're out you know, there. We out know there. their unique circumstances each time and place. But in all honesty, that's what he was doing. He was making it seem like that's just what these media members do. But it's not true. The media gets a day. The radio correspondents, for instance, they get a day. And he chose to package this, to use your term, and make it seem like he has chosen the people over the media just now. In no other year was he picking the, the people over the, the media, but just now. And that's really, you know, it's interesting because that's been the whole narrative arc of his election is this package repackaging himself in a new narrative um, as a man of the people when, in fact, he is a billionaire who lives in a gilded tower in New York City, a liberal city. It, it, it's kind of beyond comprehension. And I guess my question, Sarthik, is how, how do you push back against that if he's prepackaged it so well? Um, it's tough because the, the issue is people don't trust the media. A lot of that is what the Trump side has been able to put out. They've done a really great job. Like I know a lot of people do rail on, on President Trump for a lot of issues, but one thing you have to give him some credit on is he knows how to market what his view is. The, the view is pretty general, and it changes all the time because he doesn't say about anything. Uh, but whatever it is, he's been able to kind of get it out to his core supporters, and he's turned them against a lot of what we now for some reason call as a derogatory term the mainstream media he really invented i mean mainstream media is a phrase that existed but he's made it and taken it to a level of you know derogatory connotation that we've never seen who before. is the mainstream media the do we know or uh, we no and and that's also part of part of donald trump's um you know, vocal mystique is that he can take these phrases that don't really mean a specific thing, like what is mainstream media? Well, to him and his supporters, I often think it means media they disagree with. Right, right. And you'll hear it come from the Vox News side, but you'll hear it come from the you know, commentator on, uh, commentators on CNN. They'll say, well, the other part of the mainstream media. Yeah. And I don't know if, if the mainstream media is New York Times, if it's the Wall Street Journal, who really fits that that mold? But I think the whole ability of him to criticize the mainstream media originates in this: I have an opinion, you have an opinion. You know, I don't need to explain this. You're you're entitled to your own opinion. Um, kind of conversation that he was having with John Dickerson in that interview. Um, it all springs from that. Well, it's all relative, and I have these thoughts, and you have these thoughts, and and yours are yours, and mine are mine. Which is fine when you are sitting on the couch at Thanksgiving and just spouting off what you think, you know, as you're sitting there full full of turkey and, and cranberry sauce. But it doesn't work when you're sitting in the Oval Office and everything that you say, every movement you make, wherever you go, is being analyzed by hundreds of world governments, by analysts on every side. And it's also, it's fine to exist in that paradigm of I have an opinion, you have an opinion, um, when you're talking about, for instance, legitimate policy differences. Um, like how we should, you know, raise taxes or lower taxes. Even that you can have legitimate disagreements with, and you're kind of having an argument as to the best, you know, policy implementation um, that you can have to achieve your ends. Oftentimes, Donald Trump applies this "I have an opinion, you have an opinion" to things that either happened or didn't happen. It does seem like Donald Trump is the product of where American society has 
kind of gone over the past decade. I mean, he is a blogosphere comment section reincarnated and put on a, an election ballot. Right, and it's gotten to the point where people now fear facts, where facts have become this just commonplace nuisance. Yeah. Uh, you know, an example of that being climate change. Like, well, sure, we had Brett Stevens' article in, in the, the New, New York, York Times, Times yeah. that was being picked apart, and Brett is creating his own narrative, which is that, well, sure, so many scientists are coming out and saying that climate change is real, but science changes all the time. He just kind of flips the script and, and says, well, generally speaking, many different scientific concepts have been challenged over time, even though this is something that's very clearly yeah. visible. Yeah, and this, I was listening to another podcast, a competitive podcast of ours. Are we going to give them a shout out? Uh, no? Okay, I, I, okay. I think it was Pod Save America. Oh, man, yeah. we said it. We said yeah, the word. I said oh, it. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But if they're listening and want to have us on, I mean, shameless plug. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. Um, but the quote was basically this. If you tell me my house is on fire, I may not know exactly how it's going to burn down precisely or what rate of speed or all these little things, but we do know some agreeable facts that it's going to burn down. Right. And And oftentimes people will debate those little nuances. Well, listen, it's not, you know, you haven't done a double-blind, academically proven study that suggests that the polar ice caps are melting at a specific rate, and since it might be a slightly slower rate, then we might not see the effects. But see, you you lost me. Exactly. You lost me in the science. I just need someone to tell me a blatant statement that might be an opinion, but just spin it as a fact if you can say it in really simplistic, non- grammatical phrases like believe me believe me many people are saying if you keep saying believe me to you after you're saying things to me me. I am less surprisingly I am less likely to believe you well I think Sarthik that's something that you um, that's an aspect of you that's different than lots of people in America and and like so I know that our our pod is called Pod Civility and we strive very much to try to stay civil but there are some things like just the basic understanding of what a fact is that you can't just sit on the sideline for. You know, and I want to be civil about this. And my 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 real podcast beef is not with Donald Trump as a person. It's just with this this theme in society we've seen. Although I could have real beef with Donald. Trump. Well, given that what we were talking about him being the product of that, sure, some of your your beef would yeah would fall on that. The trans the transitive po- property of podcast beef. But where is the solution? What is the solution to that? Now that so many people, people that legitimately, maybe, okay, so he lost the popular vote, but still a lot of people voted for him uh, and pretty much condoned this idea of, of not being someone that's just for the facts. So what, what has to be done to get these people back on board the train to value expertise? Well, I think part of it is... We have to take facts and we also have to associate them with value structures that motivate people, um, that people can respond to, because facts are simply not compelling enough anymore. Well, sure, but facts are so many times also kind of depressing. Like, there's not a coworker out there that wants to hear the fact that the country is moving away from coal. Right. There's not a exactly. uh, there's not a person working at the GM factory that wants to hear that his job could be taken away 
for a lot cheaper. It could be done more accurately by a machine somewhere in China. And I think you're really getting on, uh, you know, a very important theme that maybe we're just existing in this historical time where um, there's not a lot of good truth to be told to broad swaths of America. So is it just that those swaths of America, those kind of what a lot of people have claimed to be those kind of flyover states, the, the Midwestern states, is it just that they're clutching to a hope that they can find someone that will have a magic bullet that kind of takes all of these qualms that they have away? I think part that I think, you know, I think that's right. I think some to some degree that is right. I think Donald Trump, if anything, is incredibly confident. If anything, he's incredibly um, arrogant and he packaged himself in a way that he was, you know, um, a non-political person who was running for office and could make deals. I think that was the most appealing thing about him that he over that he oversold his ability to cut a deal. You know, I, I think a lot of times you see the mainstream media has a low approval rating. Congress has a low approval rating. Obviously, Donald Trump has a low approval rating. But what people want is, is this at least belief that things are going to get done. But that's so that is su- such a big problem because people want this. But they also have such a short-term memory about how to get this done, right? Like, our bureaucratic system sucks. It's made so that there's logjam in Congress, so that things take a long time to get done because they don't want new parties coming in and changing everything all the time. So it takes a while. People don't want to wait. It's difficult for someone to wait years and years for an infrastructure plan or a tax plan. So... They have these short-term memories where they'll, where they'll say, well, let's give the Republicans a chance. Gives them a chance. A few years go by, nothing happens. Let's give the Democrats a chance. Same thing. And they keep switching over without really saying, well, I think we need to just give a part. Like, we need to stop flying under the banner of a party and blindly following wherever they're going and start looking at candidates and analysts and people that know what they're talking about and getting those people in office. I, you know, I don't know if we'll see that. I, you know, obviously, like you said, our system of government is set up in such a way that it resists sudden and dramatic change. Um, you know, Donald Trump may have changed the game a little bit in terms of the ability for a third party or potentially independent person to run for president in the future. I, I think that's something we'll probably see. Isn't that the same conversation we have every election cycle? Well, this might be the year for the third well, party candidate. Well, I mean, you're right. We do have that conversation a lot. But Donald Trump essentially is a third party candidate. Obviously, he ran as a Republican and he harnessed a lot of a lot of vitriol towards Hillary Clinton. Um, but he his his politics are not specific to the uh well, you don't know what his politics exactly are. That, because they, again they float you know like we've been talking about with relative facts that Donald Trump has what was uh well, but it's, what was the term that um, his advisor coined about facts alternative alternative facts, facts yeah Donald Trump has has made a living off alternative but isn't alternative isn't an alternative fact just what you say in middle school when you forgot to do your book report yes and and you're just yes. say, Right, like you're talking about um, you're talking about some some book, but uh, and you're talking about Angela's ashes, and you keep talking about the ashes. There's un- no ashes in the book. Unfortunately, we elected the kid who didn't do the book report. And there's not a spark notes. There's no spark notes on to, on how to run the American government. Donald Trump is looking. I promise you. 
Well, I think he thinks Andrew Jackson might have those spark notes. He probably has. Someone has talked to him about Andrew Jackson. The spark notes of American history that he has read includes Andrew Jackson. And I think this also goes back to his own ego. Obviously, he Andrew Jackson was, if anything, a populist. Um, and Donald Trump certainly finds that appealing because he believes himself to also be a populist, although he lived in a gilded tower in New York City. Sure, and therein lies really the duality of Donald Trump. You have a man who is the farthest from a populist wanting to be a populist and being able to convince people that he is a populist. This blows my mind here, that he runs off to Mar-a-Lago or his Trump golf resorts every weekend, but yet he is a man of the people. Yet the coal miner in West Virginia um, suddenly has a champion in Donald Trump. Well, I mean, to be honest, the coal miner in West Virginia definitely has a shot at getting into Mar-a-Lago if he if he could rustle up the two hundred thousand dollars. The two hundred thousand dollar. Of course, they did raise it after the election. Obviously, doubled it. It became more valuable now that the president goes there every week. Which sounds like a conflict of interest. It does, but that might be a topic for another pod. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's but, table that. But Andrew Jackson, Donald Trump goes off this week and makes this really interestingly. Um, historically inaccurate comment about how if Andrew Jackson had been around, the Civil War could have been prevented. And that is, that's conjecture. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it, it's a thought, it's a it's belief. A, it's, it's In an his opinion. defense, it's a belief. It's an opinion, but he states it with such confidence well, and bravado. He, so Andrew Jackson was able to get South Carolina to hold off on, on seceding uh, from the Union for a little while. So you know, he was very against. Andrew Jackson could have prevented the Civil War if he'd been president bef- during the Civil War or if he'd been alive. But he was dead. 16 years dead. 16 years dead. Not even recently dead. Very dead. So I have... A novel idea, maybe, to answer the question that was posed a little bit earlier about what we can do to get people back on the train uh, of believing in facts, of of seeing facts for what they are and being able to set them aside for opinions. What if we went back to basics? So you have, right now, you have journalists... And you have these "quote unquote" so-called journalists of the mainstream media hashtag fake news. That could be us. They it it probably it is probably us. is us. <laughs> they ask questions that help set up these really long-winded answers. So I guess what I mean by that, maybe that sounded confusing, is someone like Don Lemon uh, or you know Anderson Cooper, Wolf Blitzer, will have a good idea in mind. They'll ask a question about tax reform or, or healthcare, but the question is complex. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it allows the person answering the question to give a similarly complex, though uninspired answer that yeah. might skirt around the question, right? So what, what, an example of this, in one of, uh, I think it was the AP interview with Donald Trump, they asked him about funding for the healthcare plan, mm-hmm. how he was going to get it. And then they also asked him funding about uh, the border wall, what it was going to cost, $10 billion, $25 billion, what it was. And they asked it in a slightly complex way, where you're going to get the funding, what it's going to look like. Those are, those are complex questions, wanting complex answers. But what if there were simple questions? Mr. Trump, tell us what is in the healthcare plan in section whatever. Tell us, when you say Mexico will pay, pay, for, the wall, uh, pay for the wall, how will they pay? What is the 14th Amendment? 
<laughs> I mean, I think those types of questions would be, um, how do you say, stump questions for Donald Trump. I don't think he is, knows. Is asking what the 14th Amendment, equal protection clause, when did that become a stump, you question? Uh, well, when Donald Trump started running Don't ask me what the 23rd Amendment is. I don't know. I think we're all going to know what the 23rd Amendment Once you get past 21, I mean, we're not worried about The only that. one that matters after 21 is 25, and if we get to use that one, it, we're going to throw a party on the pod. But that's probably unlikely. Right. We don't have many parties. Very few parties. That's why we're But yeah, podcasts. I mean, the basic point still being, if we ask these politicians basic questions about these complex topics to help build them up, then we can nip it all in the bud. We don't allow those open-ended answers. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Because what that would do, um, if you ask Donald Trump a simple question, or if you ask any politician a simple question that has a more agreed-upon answer, uh, if you ask a more nuanced question, you're right, it gives them that open window into giving an equally nuanced answer. But if you start asking them these simpler questions, who is the president of this country? Well, and we don't have to get really complex. Like, but, I, I do hate when, when that happens. We're not, you know, because I think Rick Perry might still have nightmares <laughs> about when he was asked for what three agencies he might cut. But I, you know, and I think that's a totally fair question because if you're Rick Perry and you're running for president and you're going to cut three federal agencies, you better be able to name them. And, and he couldn't. He, he couldn't. But now he is in our government again. Yeah. Well, there anyway, it is. But but with that with that being said, I think in the last point on that is if you ask those simple questions, you also take away the triggering of the phenomenon of Trump splaining. Yeah. Because you can't if you don't know what the Fourteenth Amendment is, you can't Trump splain. You can't Trump splain the Fourteenth Amendment. I, I think I'm sure he would tr- he would try and well, say he heard he heard the second. He many, heard second many people have been saying that the Fourteenth Amendment is one of the best amendments. It's fantastic. We're going to do great things with the Fourteenth Amendment. But what is it? We're really putting right? it into effect here in the Trump administration, and you're going to see amazing results. And that we're going to win. With the 14th Amendment. Believe me. Believe me, we're going to win. That would be Donald Trump's Trump-splaining uh, of a question he did not know the answer to. And why are we buying what he's selling on that? Because at least the, the Republican side, the side that really stands by him, they had some shovels, some gold-plated shovels, and they dug a hole. And those are the trenches that they are now in. That's right. Right. Because if they get out of those trenches— they're just going to be labeled hypocrites. It, probably by him. I mean, we saw how quickly he turned on the Freedom Caucus for mm-hmm. not supporting that first uh, that first iteration of the bill that took them apparently 17 days to, to create, even though they had seven years to get that together. Uh, so, yeah, right. With that, it is tough. Like You picked a side. You picked a candidate. He won. Mm-hmm. Those that were not in his camp have to get in his camp because – and maybe this is a little bit in favor of, of this viewpoint, a little in favor of Donald Trump. The people that were supporters of the Republican Party very much disliked Hillary Clinton. They disliked everything about her. So people are upset that, well, I can't believe you picked Donald Trump to be the president. You know, he is he is nowhere near as good. Like Nancy Pelosi was talking about how she wished Bush was president or prayed for Bush. But the election wasn't between Trump and Bush. It was between yeah. Trump and Hillary. And the supporters for Trump... The ones that aren't very hardcore will say that we had to pick the lesser of two evils and pick Trump. And that's where we are with the lesser of two evils. But in comparison, Trump is nothing, not even close as evil as some of the people he's been talking about hanging out with recently. And that has just been ridiculous. I mean, 
Donald Trump is getting on the phone and just chatting it up with Duterte in the Philippines. Is it a strategic move? Right, because during the election he talked about how he's going to be unpredictable. If he's unpredictable, then his enemies don't know what he might do next if he launches you know, the mother of all bombs. And people don't know that he's going to do that until after it's done, the enemies don't get a chance to, to hide. Same thing with talking to these dictators. I mean, certainly he tried to spend the conversation with Duterte and the, and the White House invitation as a part of his a political move in terms of trying to force China's hand on North Korean cooperation. Um, I think that's a weak um, explanation, to be honest. I don't really understand how the Philippines is going to play an integral role in pressuring China to pressure North Korea. And that is where the opponents of Donald Trump would say that he has veered away from being, quote, unpredictable to just not knowing what he's doing. And I think that's probably right. You know, I go back and forth between attributing intentionality to some of these things and just kind of his um, unpredictability manifest. Um, Duterte in the Philippines has been responsible for the extrajudicial killing of over 7,000 people. Um, And he has labeled these killings as part of his campaign to eradicate drugs in his country. But really what a lot of times this means is that someone um, is killed while Duterte is the um, judge, jury, and executioner. Um, These people are given no day in court. They're not charged with any crime. Oftentimes it is a man on a motorcycle in the middle of the night coming behind someone and killing them on the street. And that is really heavy, but it's true. It's It's true. It's happening, and I don't share it to be grim. I, I share it, is it grim. because it is it grim. Sounds grim. It is very grim. I share it though because it is something that Donald Trump completely glossed over. Um, and it's it's a nuance. And of course he said, you know, well Duterte has a very high approval rating. He's very well liked. Well he's also very feared. Um, and just because someone is well liked doesn't mean that they're worthy of a White House invitation or worthy of praise. There are countless dictators who had incredibly high Inc- approval ratings. Incredibly high approval ratings. The people that were being asked if they approve of them had to say yes. In North Korea, there is a 100% approval rating of Kim Jong un. But you hear stories every day of defectors talking about how horrible the situation is. And this is the same leader who Trump said he would be honored. Honored was the word that was used to talk honored. to him. And, it, it, and it's come in a couple other instances, too, where he's expressed weirdly like this empathy for um, Kim Jong-un leading North Korea and how difficult it must have been to take over the country at such a young age. Um, it, it's as if... It's, he, it's just strange. It's, it's, it's reverential. It's strange. I can't really explain it. And it's something that if any other American president was doing, and they would get, be— Don't get me wrong. It, there's nothing wrong with talking to a dictator, right? But no. even Even when uh, President Obama was in office, President Obama made a lot of foreign policy mistakes. Absolutely. I am no Obama apologist when it comes to his foreign policy, but when he said that he was willing to have discussions with— uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad uh, and the, the Iranian then, the then leader of Iran, right, and, and Ayatollah Khomeini, then the right just absolutely destroyed President Obama. It talked about how what he was doing was treasonous, but now, now the right, at least the the right that supports Donald Trump, is trying to Trump explain 
him using the word honored. Uh, Sean Spicer did it uh, in the White House pre- press. Sean, Sean Spicer, uh, Trump's deserve, planner in chief. He deserves a medal some, for for some of the amazing things that he gets up there and says with a straight face. And really, with all of this being said, you have to question what strategy is Donald Trump leading with, but also what his advisors are telling him. That's the thing. You, it makes you wonder, is there a grand scheme strategy or plan at all? Or is the only plan to be unpredictable? In which case, there is obviously no plan. Um, and is there a situation where his advisors are telling him something and then he is kind of freestyling and picking up the phone and calling Duterte or just going off in these interviews about Kim Jong-un? Um, but it's also this cyclical thing, right? Because there's not really anyone to hold him accountable, at least no one that he's listening to. We know very much, very, very factually, that Donald Trump watches Fox News. That's it, not an opinion. That's a fact. He it said is it. very clear that he is a cable news consumer, he, which is ironic because he's such a cable news critic, criticizing the mainstream media. But yet he absolutely Fox. consumes large quantities he of— does. And many of his tweets seem to match up with stories being shared on those news networks at that very time. It's as if he'll see something and he'll think to myself, think to himself, wow, I've never thought about it like that. I need to tweet about this. But only if that thought is something that is in line with, with what he wants to do. Right? An example of it is with uh, both CNN or, or even New York, the New York Times and then Fox News. When the New York Times is running an article, it's the very fake New York Times. Right? But, yeah, or the failing New York Times. Or the Times. failing New York Times, which they're not failing. They the have had subscriptions are increasing right. despite this recent but that's global an alternative warming fact. issue. That, that may be an alternative fact. And, well, but Trump now has this cadre this entourage of... This group of bad hombres, if you right. will. We really, we have a thesaurus in front of us, basically. We, going off, yes, uh, we do. Right? And a Trump thorus. <laughs> a Trump thorus. You heard it here first. Well, he has this, this cadre of uh, Fox News hosts, uh, other like Breitbart writers, who reinforce whatever random statement he makes, whatever move he makes. You know, your Sean Hannity's that just come out. Uh, Lou Dobbs comes out talking about Lou Dobbs talked about how Trump has done basically as perfect of a job as as possible and that was reinforced by then Donald Trump who cyclically said that he has done as good of a job as any president has done in the 100 days and even in that instance he created another false narrative by talking about why he thought the whole 100 days idea was dumb, why it's irrelevant, which really he does have a point. He, he has a good point there. In a vacuum, right? In a vacuum, he has a point. But he's the one who talked about that first 100 days being something where he's he's going to be the most presidential ever. Exactly. He's going to do so much winning that we're going to get tired of winning. And, and listen, we're not tired of winning. We still want to win some more. I'm kind of craving a few I, wins. I would, you know, and Donald Trump is certainly craving a few wins. He, and there are a lot of wins to be had. You know, I-85, just down the street, it's still not in great shape. If we could get some infrastructure dollars, maybe we can bolster up our highways. I do believe the federal government has sent us some infrastructure dollars to build 85, but we certainly need more. And Donald Trump, if you're listening, if you could send more money our way, we would like a W down here in Atlanta. Well, we thought that that's where the next step was, right? We talked, they talked about tax reform, they talked about infrastructure, they could have gone either way. And then just randomly in an interview, 
Donald Trump talks about, well, next week we're going to bring health care back. It's as if Trump care came back from the dead, folks. And it was it caught a lot of people off guard in the mainstream media, caught a lot of people off guard in Congress. Do we have the votes? Are we going to take a vote? Is a vote scheduled? Um, I don't think they have the votes. Um, Donald Trump, when he was talking to John Dickerson about the health care bill, he said, well, we fixed this new health care bill fixes pre-existing conditions. What, um, what does that mean? But, well, I don't know what Donald Trump understands about the health care bill because, the, in fact, this new health care bill sought to gain votes from the Freedom Caucus, the more far right Republican members, by allowing states and insurance companies to charge higher amounts of money for people who had pre-existing conditions. So really just go back to the Wild West system exactly. that we had. Exactly. It still technically allows people with pre-existing conditions to be covered, but it also allows insurance companies to charge them what they want, a.k.a. a lot of money. It also allows states to opt out of exactly. a lot of provisions. Exactly. And uh, unless, however, if you are a congressional staffer, in which case you get basically the platinum part of every piece of that plan, how there's more, not more anger about that, I have, have no idea. And, you know, it sounds like we are kind of going through a lot of different topics at 100 miles an hour on that train. But that's because that is how this presidency has gone exactly. over the last hundred and I guess one or two days. It has just been topic after topic, left and right. And it, I mean, that means that there's going to be a lot of ratings for cable news shows, but it also means that we don't have a course that we're on. We don't have legitimate direction for this country. We don't know. I mean, it's really hard to predict what will happen next. Um, there's really not much stability, and and Donald Trump will get on and talk about, oh, now we're going to do health care. Well, we just we he had just tried to do health care, um, and well, now they want to get it done. They want to try and do it through reconciliation, and I still don't think they have the votes. And they want to do tax reform. Well, well, it's not really tax reform; it's just a tax cut. And I still they may not even have the votes for that. I, uh, I kind of feel like I'm on Rainbow Road in Mario Kart, where you just don't know at any moment you could just go right off that road. It is. That's too real, Sarthak. Is That's it? It's too just, real. It's for too me. real. Rainbow Road is a tough level. It's a tough level, but I think we're in a tough level. We're I mean, we're definitely in a historically tough level. I, I mean, I feel like we're dodging banana peels every day. I agree. I mean, we definitely are. You know who didn't dodge a banana peel? Fire. Fire festival. Fire. This is a slightly, uh, slightly lower brow topic but no less important to our listeners from, from the get go and Robert I think before you explain kind of what fire is I do want it to be known on record I do not feel bad for anyone <laughs> that went yeah. to fire honestly I do I don't either I have no sympathy for those that were um, guilted or those who made the mistake of going fire festival was um, it was a festival a, a music and cultural festival in the Bahamas that was marketed on Instagram through a lot of like it was on Pablo Escobar's previous island he yeah yeah and it was they had, there were talks of these grand villas and big vacation homes and and I remember reading a story about it this week where a group of and this is why I don't feel bad a group of investment bankers came down from uh, from New York. Um, um, for the, to go to the festival, and they got there um, expecting to see their luxurious villa with three butlers. And, oh, you know, wait, was there not a yacht waiting for them? There was no yacht. There was no villa. There was a limited supply of tents that and, they and had before, to fight before for. And before you really tell them some details, these are tickets that the cheapest ticket, face value, was going for $4,000 per head, and the most expensive ticket was 
$250,000 included a yacht, the private villa, the airplane. I guess it included a lot of just like random luxuries. It was supposed to be this incredible blowout event. They, they were supposed to have this big blowout event. They had a lot of artists signed up. Apparently, they didn't pay the artists, so lots of the artists didn't show up. Which makes sense. Which makes sense. No, not on Blink-182. I think Blink-182 is headlining. You have to, pl- you have to pay Blink-182 to show up. You do. Um, but they didn't pay them, and people didn't show up. Um, but people who paid did show up, and they were completely disappointed. And it's it's kind of it was all I think it was all the small things. <laughs> well, people certainly missed a good time, but it, it I don't think it's completely unrelated to our previous topic about how um, we have been bent facts in such a way that we've created these own fake narratives. This narrative was created on Instagram. I mean, it was this, created this on was, social media. This was just the most blatant example of lying about what you have that I think I've seen in, in a while. I mean, it's incredible. They, I mean, they literally showed pictures of things they didn't ever intend to offer. Um, they sold tickets to musical acts that never showed. Um, they, they, had, they were supposed to have these celebrity chefs that were going to make amazing foods. If you go on Twitter, you can type in the hashtag for it, Fire Festival, F-Y-R-E, uh, just they had to be cool. It couldn't just be a regular fire. You can't spell it with an I and be so, cool. You can't. So if you go, if you type in fire festival, the hashtag, you'll see some of the pictures of the food. I think one of the food was a styrofoam container yep. with a piece of bread. It looked like takeout from like. Oh, don't some... don't insult any takeout <laughs> place here in America. No small business should be insulted that way. It was a piece of bread, not toasted, just just a slice of bread. With a slice of processed cheese, some lettuce, and a slice of tomato. And this, honestly, I feel like is, a, is kind of a metaphor for our current political state. We were promised a fire festival, folks. <laughs> this, is quite the, this is quite the connection that we, you're making We here. were promised a fire festival. We were sold a fire That's festival. That's true. We were promised all we the We were told we would win. We were told there'd be these grand bargains. From and a man were, with the best words. From the man with the biggest, the best, the most gilded words that he could ever come up with. And what we got was a styrofoam cup. A styrofoam plate with no toasted bread. The bread wasn't even toasted. It was not even toasted. And we also had some delayed flights, some canceled flights. The Bahama Tourism uh, Agency issuing a statement about how disappointed they were. Getting the Coast Guard to help rescue some of these people. Planes being diverted to rescue some of these people. Fighting uh, for luggage. Luggage that was being thrown out of a truck with no lights on. People are on this random deserted island digging through huge piles of luggage. But all of, like, all of this sounds terrible, and you want to feel really bad for them. But then you think, and maybe this is just the inner hater in me, that this is a bunch of young millennials slash investment bankers that have nothing better to do with their time than to go to some random luxury island and spend a bunch of money because Coachella, I guess, was too pedestrian for them. <laughs> Certainly Coachella didn't cut it. Fire Festival is the new and hottest thing. Next year, Fire Festival will be offering free tickets. Um, oh, no, no, no. To be more specific, they're offering their, the current people that went the free ticket for next year. They're doubling down. <laughs> yeah, they're doubling down because I guess it wasn't, and I mean, it had to have been 
This has to be a joke. It has to be a it, joke. It has to be an elaborate prank, a, a scheme to make money. I mean, I'm looking at a picture of the tents, and there's a ball pit next to the tents, I guess for, um, you know, entertainment in between concert sets. I'm not sure. Maybe after you finish your styrofoam, you know, take out dinner, you go play in the ball pit, and then you go sleep in yeah, the tent. Yeah, that, that ball pit was... I mean, I don't even think Chuck E. Cheese would allow that ball pit. To it be doesn't on meet their Chuck E. Cheese standards, folks. It That's was, how it, bad was it was all of, I think, about 20 inches deep. Not um, even. Yes, yeah, so not you were, even. Your ankles might be covered in balls. Like, that was really about. <laughs> you about might, I mean, I, you can't even lay down in a ball pit like that. Fire Festival is the biggest con of this decade. And I've seen some really great tweets. I think uh, we had, there's one guy on there that tweeted the idea for Fire Festival came when a millennial and Ja Rule were forced to make an emergency landing in the Bahamas. <laughs> I think that's probably a great way of explaining it away. And people paid money for it in this day and age. This is It's 2017, and the movie Idiocracy is, it is happening. We're living it. We're living it. Well, this week, we've talked about a lot. Um, we've covered a lot of topics. Um, hopefully you stayed with us. We really went on a hopefully. lot of different tangents. And if you did, if you did stay with us, we really appreciate that. And if you enjoy listening to the pod, we would love for you to go give a rating on iTunes. Our pod is now on iTunes, Pod Civility. You can find it on iTunes. It's also on SoundCloud. If you could give a rating, a review. Um, Bill O'Reilly just created his own podcast, and we, we have very stark competition from Bill O'Reilly. Can and I just say he has some of the worst cover art that I've ever seen? It's I mean, like three different fonts. I mean, is that petty to, to complain about? Sure. Our cover art, it's not a masterpiece, but it's not bad. It's not bad. It's Bill O'Reilly's is garbage. It's really bad. And so what you need to do is you need to go vote for Pod Civility on iTunes. Check it out. Give us a rating. Give us a review. We're looking for people to write loving reviews. If you're a hater, send send us an email and or maybe a tweet. you just like us as a friend. That's fine too. It doesn't exactly. Have to be if you don't even like the content, you could still you could still do it. Hopefully, you like the content. All right, we'll be back next week um, with an interview with a Hillary Clinton staffer. We're going to talk about um, the 2016 campaign, everything that happened, um, and, and get an inside look. We'll see you next week. <laughs>